In today's episode, we'll be talking about visions from our ancestors with Isidro Oveas. This is Anipi Radio, a space for authentic conversations about our path to consciousness as we align with spirit, humanity, and nature. Anipi Radio is founded upon the belief that our most effective contribution to a more peaceful and loving world is for each of us to align with love. Our mission is to share stories, indigenous wisdom, science, and spiritual practices that will inspire you on your journey towards peace and consciousness. I hope it serves as a source of depth and joy in your life. Isidro is a good friend of mine. We met in Costa Rica about a year and a half ago or so at the Do Lectures, which is a really amazing experience that we had. The Do Lectures is, according to the New York Times, it is where Burning Man meets Ted, which I think is a pretty accurate <laughs> description. It was a very creative uh, immersion kind of event. And we had a really amazing experience there. I know I did kind of rocked me and, and got down to the core of a lot of things that I wanted to deal with. And uh, it was great. I was a speaker there. And during the time that I was there, Isidro and I hit it off and talked quite a bit about American Indian culture and have remained friends ever since. And he has certainly been a source of wisdom and peace in my life. And I'm very grateful for that friendship. And I have invited him on the show today because of his understanding and knowledge of American Indian culture, and some, specifically some of the things that are going on today and some of the things that are happening with what we're seeing at Standing Rock, what we're seeing with climate change, what we're seeing uh, with, you know, kind of the, the rise of the discussion of insane politics in America. I want him to speak a little bit to that and share some of his wisdom with us uh, so that we can all benefit from that and carry that forward. Isidro, thank you for joining the show. Thank you for inviting me. I'm very honored to be here on the show and to speak with my heart and to share my point of view on these different themes. Isidro, I know you're a social entrepreneur involved in all kinds of different endeavors, and you are a sun dancer, which is a, a very sacred in the American Indian culture. And I know that you're also involved with uh, the Mexican Toltecs and the Lakota Sioux and that you have a very close relationship with what's going on there in Wirikuta and so on. And I'd like for you to speak just a little bit about that, just to kind of introduce the audience to who you are and, and what it is that you're involved with. You know, we, we all come from a very, very disconnected world. You know, we, we are born in, in plastic environments. It's a very difficult path for all of us that were born in an occidental world to really connect with the wisdom of the earth, of the mother earth and, and his surroundings. So everyone that wakes up to this nature, because it's our nature, you know, uh, has a very interesting path. And mine was, one, mine, mine started with the, with the Mexican Toltecs. I'm from Mexico City, uh, born and raised. 
I got connected to one of the elders in a Temascal uh, sweat lodge. I had a very strong epiphany, a very strong catharsis that made me remember my connection with the earth, my connection with the surroundings, and also made me very acquainted to what these indigenous cultures had for us, you know, all this wisdom that they have been keeping for us to have it today against uh, all the attacks, all the killings, all the genocides uh, throughout history in every native culture. They, they've had one genocide because of this information that, that, that most people don't, don't want it uh, to be outside there because then they, will, they won't have control of us. And um, so I've been, I've been dancing around with, with Toltecs, with Mayans, with, uh, with Radicas from, from Nayarit in Virikuta, from Onglala tribes, um, all the way to, to Celtic uh, and, and Maoris. And I've just been like, it's been a passion for me to, to really connect and see the different points where all these native cultures meet. And one of the conclusions of this is that they practically have all the same information and mostly talks about our connection with everything from stars to every single plant and animal on the earth. And that's, that's, that has been a very um, big passion of my own and, and has changed my life in so many ways because this information, it's in our DNA. It relies in our DNA. It's it's part of us. We all we all have been moving around this earth for so long that that all the past beings or our ancestors or our grandfathers, whatever they did, they left it in our DNA. And it's just about how we activate this information that it's gonna be coming uh, back to us as a remembering, but not as a learning. It's something that we remember. And that's like what I can say about, about my, my connection and my experience with, with native cultures uh, all around America and other parts. Excellent. Thank you for that. Yeah. I, and I want to actually come back to the discussion a little bit about the ancestral uh, wisdom of other cultures as well. I often, uh, I've studied a lot of other cultures as you have, and I love the Celtic culture. I love talking about the ways of different cultures more than, and I think when we go back to the indigenous wisdom, we hear more about the ways and the beliefs and the faith and, and all that rather than specific codes or specific rules and regulations and things like that that we're more governed by today. Indigenous cultures were much more governed by uh, beliefs and and governed by principles and so on. Uh, When I study the way, you know, Jesus, I study the ways of Jesus. How did he live? How did he act? What did he, what was he about? When I study the ways of the samurai and and, and studying the Hagakure and and the book of Bushido and and all that, that was about the ways that they live. Um, So I want to get back into that as, as we move forward as well. But one, one second here, I want to, uh, because you mentioned the sweat lodge, I want to talk just for a second about your experience with that because Inipi, the name of this podcast, 
Inipi is, uh, is in reference to the sweat lodge ceremony of the Lakota, as you know. The uh, Inipi essentially translates to the kind of the concept of to live again, to have this renewal, to go into the, into the Inipi lodge that is to represent kind of the womb, to go back in and to have that renewal experience and to look inward and so on. Can you speak a little bit about that for us? Before I want to make a comment about what you said before is like, yeah, our ancestors used to rule, be ruled by beliefs, but also the main rule, ruler of our ancestors was science. They were scientists and they were physicists and astronomers and, and philosophers, and, and they were all very well-tuned with technology. From technology of self to technology of physics all around uh, our environment. One of the things that the sweat lodge has very, very, is very important is that they knew how to uh, move electromagnetic fields. When you combine the earth, a rock with fire, and then you put water over this rock, you create air. So basically, you're combining the four elements inside, inside a sweat lodge. When you combine the four elements, that means that you are moving with the elements of creation of everything around us. Everything, is, everything around us is created from earth, from fire, from air, and from water. And, and there, no one can discuss that. That's a fact. So when you move these energies and you put them all together, and then that leads you a way of uh, managing electromagnetic fields. That those are the, the energies that practically uh, we are made of also. So the sweat lodge is a place of prayer because it's a place where people get all together. You have the different elements that can go into very subtle worlds, spiritual worlds that can bring energies to this denser environment. And also, it's a place for healing the human body in so many ways. When the water of our bodies, our emotions, uh, when we don't express our emotions, when we hold back on our emotions, they crystallize in our bodies. And that creates blockages. Blockages all the way from stomach, liver, lungs, wherever your emotion is stuck and crystallized. When you breathe in the air of the sweat lodge, you can move it to that crystals to dissolve them and, and emotions come up. The same happens with our minds. The same happens with our physical bodies. Like when we sweat, we're cleansing our physical body through sweating. The sweat lodge is a, it's a very ancient ritual. Most Native American cultures have it. And uh, they say that this medicine comes from the stars because actually the rocks come from the stars, part of the sun. What they do with this medicine is they go all the way to ceremony with them for order to talk with their spiritual realms all the way to heal cancer. You know, it has so many different ways. It's a very ancient medicine, and you can also combine it with plants 
and other uh, different elements you can bring in chants um, but it has so many so many uses and it's the one of the main medicines in most native american cultures all, all the way from incas to to the alaska eskimos everything that we've discussed here i understand i i'm you know a big science nerd and and i'm into science i i study science constantly i study philosophy constantly and so on and studying the american indian traditions and the the ways of the american indian and then studying science and studying philosophy and so on all these different philosophers from the past all of these things are very very congruent all of these things I understand how when I'm listening to the wisdom of, you know, Sitting Bull or, or Chief Seattle or, or any of these others, that is based in wisdom or based in science. It's based in yeah. everything that you're, you're discussing here. And I think that's often lost in the, you know, in, in the minds of the general public that just look at them as kind of a, a, you know, an old culture that had some cool ways of, you know, interacting with the land or whatever but they fail to understand that the, it, it's based in science and in technology. And, and I like the fact that you use the word technology. It, it's so we think of technology as being electronics and iPads and, and whatever, but technology is so much more than that. And, you know, we look at the ancient, the Aztecs and the Mayans and, and all this and, and their culture and the technology that they brought to us as a society that we still use today, like our calendar and so on. And there's all this technology that was there uh, that was very, very, very advanced for these civilizations back in the day that we often fail to give credit to. So I think that's a very, very important point. Yeah, most most people, most anthropologists, most imagine get your get yourself in their shoes. You know, they come from a very occidental way of thinking. So when they were there to interpret this very ancient wisdom, they interpret interpreted with their occidental minds. So most, most of the information that they tell us that well, about these cultures is just based in their interpretation and it's just practically bullshit. It's, they don't even know how deep and how advanced these this, this ancient, ancient, uh, ancient communities were, you know? Uh, there's a very amazing fact you know, the, the, NAS, the Mayans calculated the distance from the Earth to the Moon. And NASA just recently accepted it and said that the Mayans uh, messed up for two kilometers. But actually, if you go back, everything changes and everything moves. And, if, um, and when they went back, they were actually perfectly exact at the moment they were calculating it. So imagine how advanced these guys were. Uh, they, they were calculating things that today we're supposedly discovering. What do you attribute that to? Well, m imagine, brother. We are in year 2017. The latest, the, the most, the oldest uh, Mayan calendar goes 20,000 years ago. That means these guys have run where we are running today maybe 15 times already. Imagine all the knowledge from observing the stars for 20,000 years. Every day making us a, a, a bitacore 
uh, a note of what was happening in the sky every day for 20,000 years. They, find, they found the patterns of how the universe, work, the universe works, of how our bodies work, of how it's just observation. And that's, that's basically, I, I, don't, I don't think they were more intelligent. I just think they were more freely, free to think out of the box. And they were so observative that throughout the time, they just got it, you know? They are much more advanced in time than us. Their civilization lasted for thousands of years, like, and we think we are the shit, and we have been around only for about, I don't know, four thousand, three or four thousand years, you know, or more, a little bit more. But well, and I think that the, the, the most of Americans, well, the, most of the world, I guess, has a hard time understanding that dynamic in terms of the observation of the stars and the cosmos and so on, because we're so distracted by everything, TV and, and crazy media of, of, of all kinds. And it's constantly inundating us with this crazy bits of information, lots of disinformation and so on. And we stay distracted. I think back in the day, you know, before all that, we didn't have much to do but look at the stars, but observe nature and so on and so on. And that's why I think we, we need to go back and look at the wisdom of our ancestors because they were less distracted than we. We are in this situation where we have constant, constant distraction. And it, it's, uh, I think it, it's part of our demise for sure. So I want to talk a little bit about visions and what visions actually are and, and, and or at least kind of the general idea of a vision that I don't think everybody necessarily associates with. And it's, it is actually more than just a dream or, or something that you kind of see in an out-of-body experience or so, somewhat like that. There is a, a vision is usually associated with more of a kind of a supernatural experience that would convey some revelation. It's, it's maybe a view into the future or a, a better understanding of what's happening in the present. Um, it provides kind of a lens or a window into a deeper understanding of human behavior or events or whatever. It's kind of a different view into what we would call reality um, and, and often is, is associated with prophecies. And there's, there's obviously a lot of similarity there. And it's an experience that's, uh, it's seen almost like a film, like you can, like you're there it, it, and it's kind of right in front of you. And it provided, it was usually a conduit for truth coming in and kind of a super, what we would call a supernatural way and what American Indians would, would understand as a very natural way, uh, a, a more natural way than, than what we're used to. So, and, and understanding, uh, you know, that this is what we're talking about when we're talking about visions. This is wisdom that was kind of downloaded into the minds of people that were in tune with nature, in tune with spirit, and they were listening and they were in the, they kind of, they had the mind for hearing these things. Uh, we talk about this even with people like, you know, St. Francis and so on that were in, in this beautiful uh, communion and, and relationship with nature and God. So yeah. I, I want to talk a little bit about that, about the visions um, that are that, from the past that <laughs> we're starting to see a lot of things that are kind of coming into fruition that were 
you know, a, a sort of a prophecy from the past, but they were a vision that was seen as something that was going to happen, that this was a, a kind of a natural flow of things. So let's talk a little bit about that and what you see happening now uh, in relation to that. Well, uh, as you said, you know, visions is something that happens uh, from our intuitive body, from our essence, from our soul. Um, I want to go back a little bit on on one, why did this happen? Why today we can't trust on what we dream, we can't trust in what we see? The human has been going from a very inward knowledge to a very external knowledge. You know, everything we create today, we create it on the outside. We want to shoot for Mars and create another Earth but we cannot even see what's around us to protect. These guys knew the power that our bodies have. They know it. There is, there is no other more advanced machine than the human body. Like, there's no rocket, there's no computer, there's nothing more advanced than our human body. And we are just, literally, we're just using not even 10%, as they say. We don't even know how to park this vehicle. And uh, it's, it's very, these guys knew and studied how, how to go beyond and use the technology in our bodies to go and move through their visions. A vision, I will very, put it in a very simple way, like an architect. An architect can see a plane, but in his head, he can have a vision of a city or of a house or of a building. That's how a vision comes. You can see how things will turn out. You can create how things will turn out. But when you have a, a spiritual message through a vision, you really are being visited by a higher frequency consciousness that will download you information so you can share to prepare people for something that it's coming. Ambition has been in our humanity for every single generation. We have, we have had prophets, we have had prophecies, you know? We have visionaries. That's part of the humanity. That's part of our nature. It's part of us. And and maybe some skeptics could deny that. But as we move forward with this interview, I think it will be very interesting to hear some of the of the prophecies that or the visions that are happening as we speak. There's a kind of a dynamic where people don't give credit to these visions, and we've been sort of trained not to give credit to those visions because if we did, again, like you mentioned earlier, we're a lot harder to control. <laughs> I've always said that you know if we had a, a, a completely kind of enlightened, in tune world, th there's no uh, it leaves no room for someone to control that world. And obviously, there's been some very deliberate efforts, and, and are continuing to be deliberate efforts to distract us and keep us from being in line with that. Uh, attuning to nature, to God, spirit, cosmos, and so on. 
So one of the things, and, and let's talk about this because this is a bit of a, a bit of a controversy, but I think it's a good way to kind of start out the vision discussion. You and I talked a while back about kind of a, a conflict that I was noticing in my continual studies of American Indian culture, you know, since I was 17, going over 20 years now. And I have been noticing some things along the way, some statements along the way from American Indian culture saying, American Indians, some of the elders and so on, are, were looking at non-Indians and saying, look, don't use our culture, don't use our ways, don't use any of the, the wisdom that you are gaining from us for yourself or, for, or, or don't go out there and spread that word, whatever, this is our sacred thing or whatever, and we don't want, that, we don't want non-Indians utilizing that wisdom, which to me was always, it seemed odd. I mean, it's like the Chinese saying, you know, don't, don't spread the vision of the Tao Te Ching. For me, it was just wisdom that was there, and it made sense to carry that forward to help others be more in tune. Anyway, I spoke to you about this maybe a year ago or whatever, and you shared with me a vision that really rocked me and, and was very encouraging, consequently. But I think that it's a, it's a good discussion point to start off with in terms of uh, the visions that we're seeing carried out today. So speak a little bit about that, if you could about specifically the dynamic I was talking about with American Indians of today being reluctant to let non-Indians utilize and spread their wisdom, and then the, the vision that you shared with me about that. It's very important for us to get in the shoes of the elders, in the shoes of these people. Uh, first of all, before we make any judgment, imagine your family is being brutalized and genocide and your lands taking over and literally uh, your society filled with diseases of alcohol and other kinds that you hadn't even seen in your whole life. And suddenly this archetype in a white skin comes in and makes that happen in an instant. So the others, the others come from a from a very hurt past. They lived in their skins all the all the genocides, all the way from wounded, wounded, wounded knee to what the stories talk about, you know? And um, imagine suddenly, maybe 20 or 30 years later, the same archetype comes in craving for this information. And he's like, oh no, <laughs> no, like, like what you represent in my face, I'm not going to give you what you want. Or if you really want it, you have to show me that you are, that you are not what I think you are. So yeah, there, there's, there was, and there, there is changing today, but there was some years ago, a very strong, persistent elder community that were, you know, they were giving them the wrong information or they were de definitely not even uh, letting them in their reservations or in their families. And I want to bring in one of the visions of Sitting Bull and from all other elders that had the same vision. And this was happening while 
they were taking away from their lives. And this vision said that it was told to the to the white men, as they called Europeans. Uh, they said that take very well well care of your children, because our children will be will be coming us on as your children, and they will teach you how to get back to the wisdom that connects you with Unchimaka, with the Mother Earth, and 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 this. This was a very, very strong, important vision. It's happening, man. Like we can see it everywhere. We can see it. We can see this happening. With also, there's another vision that from the Hopi and from the Mayans. The Hopi has a have a vision of the Rainbow Warriors. That there will be spirits coming in from all races, uniting into and showing other people how to live again in contact with everything around the earth and the universe. And also the Maori have one and the Toltecs and the Mayans said like this 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 is something that has been going on in every single culture because it's not about a vision, it's about a reality that is happening today. And you see a lot of people with very young ages, like kids, having so much information in their hands that we are being surprised, like calling them geniuses. But the reality is that they come in with their DNA activated in that information because of our past work. It started as a very difficult movement because the elders were very hurt from this archetype but as the younger generation are starting in the Native Americans inside their families are starting to get in the top of their of their societies they are already programmed and they know very clearly that it's time to let this information out. It's happening. And they really know that it's time to bring in all the colors of the rainbow together because we are all connected. Our skin is just its just a different type of vehicle. It's like having a red car and a blue car. That's it. The point, the importance is who drives the car. <laughs> Absolutely. And I, th- I think a lot of what of the disconnect is people kind of thinking in this typical kind of linear kind of thinking of time and the differences in uh, different types of people and that we, they don't see the interconnectedness. They don't understand that we are all interconnected and that we are all, as Carl Sagan would say, we are all star stuff or made of the same stuff. And I think that what what the, the discussion before was well, if there are, a, you know, Native Americans are Native Americans, they're American Indians. And we, and if you're not an American Indian, then you're not American Indian, just because we're looking at the physical body. And I think obviously people like you and I understand that we are way more than our physical body and that we are all interconnected before, during, and after this particular uh, stop in human existence. And for me, when you were telling me about that prophecy, it was like, wow, 
there isn't the disconnect that I thought there was. There isn't the, well, this is an Indian or a non-Indian or whatever, that we are, it spoke to another level of interconnectedness that even I, being Mr. Interconnected, yeah. <laughs> had not thought of. And, and I think it, it, it's very beautiful. And for me, it was very liberating and kind of speaking to the feeling that I've always had inside of me of desiring to bring forth this indigenous wisdom into today's culture and being a conduit for that and realizing that I'm not just a stand-in conduit, but that I am part of all of that. I'm part of that vision that they had just as much as you or, or a, a, a full-blooded Lakota. We are all part of that vision. And to understand that their children's children were going to come through us you know, that's, that's us. That's our generation, even getting into kind of the, the rainbow children discussion and all that. And, and I think that for me was very liberating and it's a, it's a beautiful vision. And I think it's one that's to me much more congruent with the principles uh, and beliefs and ways of the American Indians that I know of as well. Let's talk about how that relates to the specific issue uh, that we see going on in Standing Rock right now, because that's obviously a hot topic. Uh, I did a podcast recently on Standing Rock and uh, I want to further that discussion. There's been some new developments even the last couple of days. For anyone that isn't familiar with Standing Rock, I'm going to take a moment to articulate a little bit of what actually is going on there. The issue there is about the Dakota Access Pipeline. It's a $3.7 million project that intends to create 1,172 miles of pipeline spanning across the United States. It is set to go through North Dakota next to the Missouri River, which is straight through Standing Rock or on, on the side of it there. And that, that area is kind of controlled by the United States uh, Army Corps of Engineers. So the, the Missouri River is right there alongside the res. Uh, it is the longest river in the United States and forms the fourth largest river system. It's a critical habitat for wildlife, and it provides irrigation, water for agriculture and livestock, and so on. It, is the, you know, it also provides water for the 8,000 residents on the reservation. And just as importantly as that... <laughs> There are 18 million people that are downstream from that that would also be affected from any kind of oil spill or, or whatever. Um, and, and, you know, not to mention the fact that it's sacred Indian ground and it has been protected by treaties for years and years. And unfortunately, it's not been protected by those treaties. They've all been broken. But that Standing Rock Reservation has been protected for a long time. They've been fighting this pipeline for a long time. It's been an ongoing battle. And the reason that supporters of the, the Dakota Access Pipeline are behind it, other than the financial side of things, is because they believe that it will make the United States uh, less reliant on foreign oil. And that has been the discussion of energy transfer partners that owns the pipeline, uh, that this will make us less dependent on it and, and it will it supports 100% domestic oil consumption and so on and so on. However, there's a recent SEC filing from earlier this year, that the oil from the pipeline is not slated for U.S. consumption at all. So the entire reasoning <laughs> for taking it through this, this land is not even real. Oh my God. Um, and, and, and that uh, it was a reversal. Uh, it comes on the heels of the December 2015 congressional agreement to lift the 40-year ban on exporting domestic produced oil. So we... It's a yeah, it's all a sham as usual. But it's also interesting to note that 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 pipeline was supposed to go through Bismarck, North Dakota, uh, but it was rejected by the city because they said you can't put it here; it's going to contaminate our water. And it's a predominantly white city, and there wasn't even a discussion. It didn't show up in the news. It just they said no, you can't do that. We're not going to do that. So they said, okay, fine, we'll just do what we usually do and 
railroad through the, <laughs> through the American Indian territory because it's not like they're going to fight us and win, which is unfortunately in, in the past, we've certainly had plenty of evidence of that. The discussion then is, you know, is the thing going to leak? Would it actually leak or whatever? What's the probability? Um, Indridge, which is one of the other investors in the pipeline, is the largest stakeholder of it. From 1999 to 2010, Indridge was responsible for 804 oil spills, dumping 5 million gallons of oil into the environment, including the largest offshore oil spill ever in U.S. history. So this is outrageous. This discussion, as I said in my last podcast about this, is not just about American Indians protecting their land. Uh, you know, and, and, and broken treaties and all that kind of stuff. This is a reflection of our nation's values and priorities. And we constantly choose profits over people and land, uh, the vitality of it. And, and now, we, you know, we have Trump coming into, <laughs> into office. He has vested interest in that pipeline because he's a stockholder. He has already stood up and said that he will protect that pipeline and make sure that it goes through. Now, there's some legislation in place that will change all that. We'll do an update on that later. Uh, it's also worth noting that his new de- uh, energy department head, Rick Perry, is on the board of Energy Transfer Partners, the owners of the pipeline. So the new head of our energy department has a stake in the pipeline. So it's it, I, absolutely ridiculous what's going on. What's happening here is that we have a group of people, the American Indians, that are standing up for what seems to be protection of their land. But this is about way more than that. This is American Indians standing up, not as protesters, not as you know, activists or whatever, but as environmentalists protecting the land, which they've been consistent with ever since day one. They've always been protectors of the land. When we look back at when the, at the Europeans came over, you know, they were welcomed by the Indians saying, hey, sure, come on, you know, let's, let's all live in perfect harmony with each other and the land and whatever. And we saw how that turned out. The Europeans had a desire for domination, not necessarily community. But the the Indians stood their ground constantly on protecting our planet, not their planet, not their land necessarily, but our planet. It's our scenario. And they've always looked at it as our planet. So I think it's important to even understand that the framing of this was not for not even just to protect their land or or in regards to broken words and, and, and treaties and so on but that they are coming up as protectors and once again being just as consistent as they always have been in protecting our environment for all of humanity. Okay, so I want to now move into the specific vision that you and I talked about that is associated with what's going on in Standing Rock right now, uh, just to speak to, the, to that vision and, and how it applies to us now and the things that we need to be aware of in this discussion. This definitely is not about Native Americans. It's not even about a country or the United States. It's about water. And what's happening with the water all around the world? Just what happened with the oil 30 years ago. It's much more meaner because we cannot live without water. Companies like Nestle and other companies are taking a hold of our water resources, contaminating most of our water supplies so they can run 
their profit around bottles of water that they have to sell to people that they cannot get a hold of clean drinking water. And me coming in from a third world country, believe me, I know that very well, because around our cities, there used to be very clean rivers. And today, I don't know if you have heard, but in Mexico City, they have a big problem about drinking water. And the only way that we can get it is on the supermarket. I, I, I see something happening there and shooting, they're shooting for that on the future so they can control the water supplies. And there's, you know, we all know this. We all know the next wars or next problems in the world are going to be because of water. And Standing Rock is just the flag and the tip of the arrow that will lead into that. Now it's a different way of seeing it, but now it's not governments fighting for water, but it's human fighting for their rights. They are not even fighting a corporation. They are fighting someone and they pay taxes to protect them. And it's so unreal. It's like looking at a joke that, that people cannot even understand how the government can protect a transnational profit company and hurt their citizens that pay for their salaries. It's, it's like a joke, man, you know? I want to go a little bit deeper on this. It may seem like just a bunch of people, natives and, and other people fighting for a water supply, but it goes much, much deeper than that. This is the first time in a long time that humanity has opposed capitalists on something about nature. Something very important like water. We have had it in a different parts of the world because they were they wanted to damage like uh, some sacred places or mountains or reserves, but never as strong and as big and as mediatic as a standing rock. Black Elk has a vision. He, he talked about a vision when Native Americans were going to get together because they, I don't know if, if, if you know this, but most Native American tribes were at war or, or, or not war, but had their conflicts as, as typical humans, you know, but their conflicts were much more real and important as our stupidity stupidity conflicts that we have today but anyway and and i think it's also worth noting in there that their conflicts and their warring was was nothing like what we have today with our drone attacks and and things where we're not even there to see what's actually happening and we're just dropping bombs on on cities and countries and civilians and so on and that their wars even even with american indian culture when there was a war that was won a battle that was won there was still a, a, a mourning for the deaths of those that had died, even at their own hands. And, and they, they gave that reverence 
so anyway, I, I think it's important to to note that too, that even with their warring and, and conflict, it was nothing like the kind of conflict or the way that we handle conflict today. Yeah, you're right. And nothing like it. And also their problems were much more uh, about things that really matter. And, and they were very, uh, they, it was very easy to settle those problems. And As opposed to controlling the oil. <laughs> yes. Exactly. Uh, also, Wallace Black Elk talks about this time when all these tribes are going to get together in a place where Turtle was going to be and they were going to fight a black snake. If you put it into what's happening in Standing Rock, the first action that happened was all, like, I don't know, I don't remember how many flags of different tribes were there, but I think, I think there were about, I don't know, about 30 or, or 40 different Native American tribes getting together in that spot, in that side camp. That was the first thing that was shocking to me. I was like, oh, like, this actually looks good. This darkness is making people together. It's making people unite. So that was the first thing. The second one was the black snake. Like the pipeline looks like a black snake. You see it on a map. And the turtle, there's a very important part on the, on the camp that is the turtle island. That is exactly where, the, where they set base or the police set base for a long time. He also talks about a journey back to the heart, starting with this action, ending up with a two million Sundance in the, in the Black Hills. And there's so many prophecies that are out of line, all the way from Hopi to uh, Mayan and, and different that talk about this journey back to the heart, journey back to our nature, journey journey back to our essence so the reality that i can see behind the scenes of standing rock that standing rock it's just the first action or the tip of the arrow that will and is leading into a massive repeated action of people standing against capitalism Uh, defending natural resources. Most of the people that was there were not only natives, but there was a lot of people from all around the world camping in that site. There were hundreds of different tribes represented. I heard a number like 300 different tribes represented or something. And at the time, right before everyone started to kind of clear out because of the blizzard and, and some other things that were happening. And, and then once the, the Army Corps of Engineers denied the last permit and we, they could have a bit of a reprieve, there were up to 8,000 people at that camp. And, and yes, there was only about 3,000 people, I think, in the camp that were actually... Um, full-blooded native and, and then a lot of uh, there was these people from all around the world there were celebrities there's mark ruffalo and susan sarandon and all and and all these uh shailene Wood, woodley and all these different people that were bringing attention to this 
issue because they also recognized that this is about humanity. This is about water. This is about our earth. This is not just an American Indian thing. Uh, it's about something much bigger than that. And I think that also speaks to exactly what you're talking about with this vision. Imagine all those people in that campsite sleeping around, drumming, waking up with drums, going into teepees to the ceremony, to seeing how these natives talked with the fire, seeing how these natives talked with the wind, with the earth, like literally experimenting our roots, our basic primal roots. And we as humans, when we see this happening in a very original, real way, there's something that moves inside us. And there's something that it's awakened inside us because this is our nature. This is our primal way of acting. All these people that was there, they got in touch with this wisdom, with their basic information about how to live with the earth and communicate with the, with the earth and how to be in touch with the elements. We haven't seen it yet, but these people will get back to their homes. And when they get back to their homes, they're going to share this knowledge. And the people that they touch are going to share that knowledge. And the people that they touch are going to share that knowledge. And it's like any other disease or vaccine, it will spread out like never before. That's why they talk about a Sundance of two million dancers. Today, Sundance, people don't even know what a Sundance is. And practically, the, the biggest Sundance today, it's one that happens, in I think, in Mexico, in Nayarit. It's about 250 dancers. And that's one of the biggest. So we're talking about about two million Sundance in the flag hills. That's, that will definitely get you back to your heart. Out of all of these people that were standing there having or, or, or in that environment, having this experience, watching the ways of the, the American Indian, there were so many things I think that were going on there and watching the kind of the prayerful way of handling things, watching how they stayed in tune, watching their level of patience, which is not something we're good at in America. <laughs> I mean, if we wanted to handle wars differently, we could look at a situation with a country that we don't necessarily get along with and then say, how can we work to get along with this country? But that takes patience. It takes years and years and years of relationship. and patience. We don't have that. We're a microwave nation. We want everything right now. So what we do is we just say, well, screw it. Let's just go in and bomb them. It's a lot easier to do that. So we do all over the world. And what the people witnessed there at Standing Rock from the natives was outrageous amounts of patience and resolve to their, to their beliefs and the ways. And also worth noting, nonviolent resistance which, you know, we've seen that in the past, that that has been the only thing that's worked. And we've seen, you know, if, if Martin Luther King had just said, you know what, forget it. Let's just pick up some guns and start shooting back. We wouldn't talk about Martin Luther King the way that we do. 
We wouldn't revere him as this icon of peace. The reason that we do is because he, he took evil and looked at it right in the face and just sat there in peace and in patience and said that we're, we're going to kill this thing with love. We're going to kill yeah. this thing with patience. And we saw what happened even with the riots and, and the Ferguson stuff. And, and I was very involved with all of that, and especially in that discussion. And there were rioting and there, were, there was all kinds of violence and all kinds of things like that. In this situation at Standing Rock, we saw no violence coming from the water protectors and outrageous amounts of violence being imposed upon them from the police. And yet they still stood strong. They still stood in patience and in kindness and in the belief that this is going to work out in the long run because they're thinking about the world, the earth, the humanity, everything from a larger perspective than what most Americans are even able to fathom. Okay, now I want to talk a little bit about uh, something you and I discussed before about kind of perspective of looking at the earth as a human, as a living kind of being. And this is, this is one of the things that I talk about a lot with the Gaia concept. And, and that was uh, discussed a lot from astronauts that went outside of the orbit of the planet and looked back at our planet what they thought that the most amazing, profound thing they were going to see was what was out there, away from Earth, and the moon, and, and the, the stars, and the planets, and the galaxies, and so on. And what they realized that once they went out there, and they looked back at Earth, they had this kind of spiritual experience, which they call the overview effect. And they realized that this Earth is a living, breathing organism. And there are no borders from that distance. There are no ethnicities or you know, there's no race, religion, creed, whatever. There, these are, it was a perspective that rocked them. And these are, you know, astronauts. <laughs> they, they've, they're obviously uh, pretty seasoned people. They've been through a lot and have studied a lot and so on. And for them to get to that point and then say, this, the most profound thing we've ever seen is looking back at the earth and realizing that it's a living, breathing organism. And you had spoken about uh, kind of the American Indian view of that, the native view of looking at the earth as a human. Talk to us a little bit about that. Well, every, na every native culture in the world recognizes the earth as a human, as a live body. Not as a human, but as an alive being. And as, we, as, as they know, we are all reflections and everything to the macro to the micro is just something that is happening within us. They also acknowledge the earth as that. And they talk about us being the protectors of the earth, being in most of their chants, in most of their stories, they, they say, I'm here standing over mother earth. I am a protector of mother earth. I pray to you so my people can survive talking about humanity. And, um, well, what, I, what I've been seeing is that if you put that into our scientific way of thinking, is what cell will, 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 will be in the, in the body. So what are the cells that protect our bodies? They are the white blood cells. They are the one that brings the defenses and of the immune system. So if we are the white blood cells, blood cells of the earth, what happens when you get overpopulated with white blood cells? That means you get leukemia. The first sign of leukemia, it's 
it's fiber. It's it's having a high temperature temperature. That means global warming. So what's the main problem right now in the earth? It's our overpopulation of almost eight billion of the white blood cells, if you can observe it that way. And the earth right now it's it's on a it's it has high tem temperature. Imagine in time we are just a millisecond over the earth as humanity. That means this is just starting, you know? And um it's but it's moving very fast. It's moving very, very fast. If we can observe the global warming uh problems today, that means this is happening very, very fast. Uh that means that if you really wanna do something about it, die, you know, but I don't want to be that drastic. <laughs> <laughs> what are the alternatives to dying? <laughs> but the the reality is that this consciousness about the earth being an alive being is what is taking these people in defense of the natural resources. Because if we look at water as our blood, that means like we are attacking our own selves, you know? And this is what is in every single native, native heart. When they do something to the earth, it's like they were doing it to, the, to themselves. It's the same thing. They don't make any difference of this. So yeah, that's what, what I can say. Uh, and, and this is in every human heart. Every time you connect with that, like, like with yourself and with the earth, it hurts to see things hurting the earth, you know? And everyone can, can say this. This is part of our nature, you know? And that's in line with Chief Seattle's speech in 1854, where he spoke about, you know, how can we own the earth? How can we, you know, uh, how can we own the land? How can we own any, the air? How can we own all these things? The, the earth is something that we are a part of. We're interconnected in that way. And we are, like what you're saying, we are to be those white blood cells, to be stewards of the earth, to protect the earth, to take care of the earth. You know Chief Seattle's speech. Speak a little bit about that. Chief Seattle wrote a letter to the United States president talking about how can they deliver something that wasn't theirs because the United States were asking for their lands. And um, they say, like, how can I give you my land if it's not mine? How can I give you something that is not mine? And, and it talks about, uh, like, he talks about what's happening today. If you really read that letter, I, I really encourage everyone to read that letter. It's a very powerful message of what we are living today. He talks about the world and the humans rolling around in their own trash. And that's literally what we're experimenting today as humanity. Because we are poisoning our waters with our own shit. We're drinking our waste. I don't want to go deeper into that because it's a little too real for us to experiment. But I really encourage people to 
to read that letter and to reconnect in any way they can and they want with the earth, with their own nature. Absolutely. I, I by the way, I have a, a children's book. Actually, I think it's sitting here to my left. And it's the entire speech that he gave put to kind of uh, pictures and, and so on. And I read that to my daughter once or twice a week. We have a whole stack of American Indian uh, wisdom books for children uh, because I'm teaching her those principles and those ways. And I talk to her about those being ways of, of living and, and ways of kind of resolving to that is how our life is going to be. And as a family, the principles that we live by are rooted in those American Indian uh, ways. I teach her about how we interact with nature, how we interact with animals. And we have a, a book called Frog Girl that's about a, a little Native American girl. And essentially the, the moral of the story is that we, we don't take animals and, and make them our pets. We don't take them and treat them a certain way. We don't even domesticate them. Really, that's another discussion. But we, we leave them in their natural environment and we, they're there for us to appreciate and to live in harmony with. And we talk about the trees and so on. We, we, we stayed in a log cabin recently and she was a little bit uh, put off by the fact that she realized that this house was made of trees and her understanding of someone that cuts down a tree is, is a wasichu. It's someone that's, that's only thinking of themselves and being selfish and taking from the earth and so on. So we had a discussion about that, but that's how in tune with nature, my little four-year-old Sersha is. Uh, yeah. And, and I, I think that's beautiful. And I, and I, as an activist, as a philanthropist, I want to help spread this philosophy because I believe that, you know, what if we were raising all of our children in that way, to revere nature oh, we're, we're that way? Talking about this you're right. You're right. Well, and I hope that, I mean, my hope is that someday in the future, nobody will have to talk about this because yeah. we will be adopting those ways and beliefs of, of the American oh, Indians and of, of all indigenous cultures and so on. And, and, and you spoke earlier and, and we can, we can talk about this real quick before we wrap, because I think it's important to have, you know, a broad scope. We're, we're an information nation and this is the age of information. We're taking in lots of information all the time. So we're always like, well, okay, well, there's this, there's one instance, give me five more before I believe it. And I think people are tend to think that way. So if you could speak a little bit real quickly just about maybe uh, some of the Celtic, even Druid kind of beliefs and, and some of the other uh, cultures that you have studied and experienced and, and how they're congruent with this discussion. Well, the first of all, the first thing that I have found is that the real information lies in simplicity. The real wisdom lies in simplicity. Because these were this was taught to their children. It was very important generation to generation, you know. Another thing that I realized are the, their medicine wheels. If you observe medicine wheels of uh, different cultures around the world, like Incas, like Toltecs, like Mayans, like Native Americans, like Maoris, like Celtics, they all have the same elements in their medicine wheels. The medicine wheels eh, around different native cultures in the world are very similar. If you really observe them, they have the same elements. They have four cardinal points resembled as the winds. They have the, the, the passings of the equinoxes and the springs and the, and the solstices. And every single step of the sun through the constellations 
I mean, 13 constellations in one year. Uh, but in their basic information, they are dividing it in four. The four colors, the four directions, the four elements, the four parts of the human mind, body, emotions, and spirit. Um, they all have the same. It's just different ways in the, in the way they put it in colors or in interpretations. Maybe for the Mayans was the Jawar, but for the Native Americans was the wolf for the or the puma, you know, it's, it's depending on where they were living. This change, you know. But the real worth that the universe comes from, uni means one in Greek, and verse means information. That means the word universe, etymology talking about, means one, information. We have been fooled a lot by the way we've been educated on having these different opinions about things. These, these discussions were not happening in the ancient world. It was something that you knew, point. You don't discuss it, you don't debate it, because this was known, this was real, you know? Because they all had the same information. It's like getting, trying to get a debate with someone that knows the same as you. And yeah, that's what I have, what I have found out. And these circles resemble the DNA of their cosmovisions. Basically, these circles are the DNA of the universe, of the information. Discussion. I hope for our audience, certainly for me. I want to just wrap up briefly with talking, you know, giving you an opportunity. What is it that you feel is kind of the takeaway from this? What is it that you hope people will take into their lives from this conversation and certainly just from a broader uh, understanding of American Indian culture? I think that it's important, you know, that we view ourselves as protectors and, and to, to act in the way that white blood cells should act and to protect this earth and not just to be inhabitants here or, or to dominate it, but to view ourselves as stewards and protectors of this land. What's one, one parting wisdom that you'd like to leave with the audience? I would like to leave speaking with my heart, like inviting them to really understand that whatever they do to the earth, from throwing a single piece of trash to cutting down a tree, Whatever we as humans do to the earth, we are doing it to ourselves. That's what I want to do. It's like, every time you throw a single piece of trash, you're poisoning the trash. It's the same. It's just a reflection. That's why we call it mother. <laughs> I agree. Well, and I, I think that that's a good uh, segue even into my next podcast, which I'll, I'll be recording this week. A discussion on, you know, how do I not be involved with the destruction of our planet? 
because I think that a lot of people are, are sort of inadvertently involved. They don't even know how they're supporting what's going on because we're so blinded, we're so distracted that we don't understand how we are connected to these things. We, we consume things without understanding where they came from. We consume things without understanding how it's destroying our planet or how it's oppressing other people and so on. And I think that there has been a very intentional shielding of that knowledge so that people don't understand where, you know, that, that they're involved with this and we've become complicit in that way. So I, I, I think that that's, uh, you know, we need to become conscious and I think that consciousness, and that's why this, this show in EP radio is focused on consciousness and, and saying like, as an activist, I've, I've fought symptoms my whole life. You know, I've fought things like, you know, war and poverty and economic inequality and racism and so on. A few years ago, I realized that I was just fighting symptoms. I was not fighting the cause and the cause is perspective. And in order to change our perspective, we have to become conscious. We have to wake up. And that's what consciousness is. Waking up to who we were designed to be and who we came into this earth as and have unfortunately over the years been disconnected with. And we need to reconnect and embrace our interconnectedness. I think that we are on the verge of, or in the midst of rather, a shift, a shift in consciousness. And I, another thing I'm going to talk about in my next podcast is the fact that now we have a very, very obvious villain in Donald Trump being uh, elected as our, our president. And before it was easier to stay asleep. Now it's not. When you have a, a very specific villain enter the scene, you can then realize how bad things have gotten or how bad things can get and so on. So in, in, in some ways, maybe it's a gift to wake everybody up to say, look, you can't ignore this anymore. Yeah, he, he represents the bales coming down. Thank you for inviting me and, and I honor your show and what you're doing. It's powerful and I well, every time you need some help from me, just ring a bell. Man. Thank you so much, man. I really appreciate you taking the time to be on the show and joining us from Mexico and for your wisdom and your constant commitment to your journey and to living deliberately. Uh, I think that's an example we can all try to emulate. So I uh, will close the show. Thank you so much for holding a space for love and freedom with us today. I hope you will support organizations that are standing up for Standing Rock and that you will be intentional about your lifestyle and your purchasing, your bank affiliations, and etc. We have to be deliberate about our lifestyle. We can't just be blindly complicit. And again, I'm going to talk about that in our next episode. Uh, if you appreciate the NEP ethos and want to help us inspire others, to align with love, then I hope you'll share this podcast with those you care about and listen and rate us on iTunes. The reviews and ratings help us grow. Thank you so much. Thanks, Isidro. And uh, for anyone that wants to know un more about what's going on at Standing Rock, please visit standwithstandingrock.net. And there are some other ones out there, Indigenous Rising, Permaculture Action Network that help you learn how to live in harmony with the land. There's Earth Guardians that are doing amazing things to stand up for our environment. I will put all of these notes in the 
show notes so that you have links and ways to get in touch with them. Until next time, I wish you peace on your journey. May you align with love and let your life speak. Itakuye Oyasi. Itakuye Oyasi in Wopila. Thank you, brother. Thank you.